Our Old Testament reading is from Daniel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them into the land of Shinar to the house of God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. I'm glad we are here and starting our new fall series. This whole fall, we are going to be looking through the book of Daniel. And uh, Daniel's a really great book. I'm, I'm really excited about the next few weeks because I think this is one of those books where, as adults, you know, if you're familiar with the Scripture, this is one of those books you can think you know what's in it, but you kind of overlook it. Uh, it's one of those books that has a lot of stories that make it into our kids' Bibles, and they have big, memorable characters and scenes, but there's not a whole lot of application that we gather from it. Um, but as I've been studying this over the last few weeks, and what I hope you all are going to find out this fall is that there is a ton for us to learn in the book of Daniel. We might be centuries removed from all the stuff that happened there, but so much of this book and its setting speaks directly to what we're doing here and what our lives are like today. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, this book, it's a book about living a life in a hostile world. And it's a book that in, in the midst of that is, is also telling us how we can trust in God's faithfulness even in some of the darkest times in history. Both of those themes are kind of constantly at play in this book. So if you find yourself this morning uh, in that place, if you've ever been in that place where, where you're ask, asking questions like, how did I get here? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? If you've ever wondered how you're supposed to live and thrive in a city like this, a city where the culture seems to share so few of your values, or if you've ever found yourself feeling defeated, if you've ever found yourself wondering if, if God has left you behind, 
if he's abandoned you, or, or maybe wondering if he's even there at all. If you have found yourself looking at the painful events of history, the painful events unfolding on the news, and felt the temptation to despair and to be overwhelmed. If you've ever wondered, is there any hope left for this world? This book is for you. The book of Daniel is for you. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to orient ourselves a little bit to this book. Um, I want us only to tackle the first few verses and help us get an idea of where this book is taking place, what's going on here. And especially I want us to look at how Daniel sets it up. I want us to look at how Daniel introduces us to these stories. Because as we look at these first couple of verses, what we're going to see is that there are two ways to view history. There are two ways that we can look at the story of the world. And as we see that, we'll realize that, there's a, that history makes a difference. The way we view our history makes a difference. And then finally, after we see that, I want us to just talk about how to know which version you're in. So we're going to say the two ways to look at history. We're going to see the fact that history makes a difference. And then finally, we're going to see how do we know which history we're in. Uh, so two ways to view the world. There's two ways for us to look at history. Uh, a lot of Old Testament books start out similarly to the book of Daniel. Uh, these first couple of verses, they tell us about a king who was reigning. They try to give us some kind of context. Most of the times, uh, the Old Testament books that start out this way, they're simply showing us when they took place, trying to help us understand where we are in history. But these verses, especially these first two verses, underneath the surface, I think the entire history of a nation is packed into this, and the theology of a nation can be found in these words. It starts off with a very clear historical statement, right? In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Okay, we got Bibles out there. You guys can grab them. Uh, I bought, these are brand new Bibles, by the way. These are, we just got these this week. They're fancy. Well, they're not that fancy, but they're clean. Um, grab them, open them. We're going to be using them. If you don't own a Bible, take one with you. You can take one of these. It's our gift to you. We want everyone to have God's Word. But we're looking at, at verse 1, and it tells us in verse 1 a very simple fact that Babylon uh, conquered Jerusalem. And history shows us that that is the case. In 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar I came and he attacked the city. And when he attacked the city of Jerusalem, he, he ordered that some of the best and the brightest of uh, young men in Jerusalem be taken back to Babylon to be instructed in their courts. And that's not the end of the, the battle there. History tells us that that war uh, raged on, that, it, it, that there were different chapters in it, but it came to a climax about 20 years later in 586 B.C. And at that moment, Babylon finished their defeat of Jerusalem. It says they burned the city to the ground, they destroyed the temple of God, and they took all the remaining able-bodied people with them into exile hundreds of miles away to the city of Babylon. The people who originally got this book, the people who were the, the first audience to read this book, had lived through that. They were fully aware of that history. For the people who first 
read the book of Daniel, verse 1 contains in it a lifetime of pain. It's kind of hard for us to get our minds wrapped around that, right? It's, it's 2016 in Boston. We can't totally relate. Uh, you know, it so happens today is, is September 11th. I don't know if you have, like, thought about that at all this week. I was, you know, looking at some of the old videos and stuff and just seeing the destruction that took place when one major monument of our nation was, was destroyed and, and how, how that has rippled through history. Can you imagine what it would have been like? to see your entire city burned to the ground, to see your home destroyed, to see your your churches destroyed, to see people killed, to see the place you loved completely wiped out, and then, after that, to be taken away, to be carried away so far that you could never hope to return. And even if you were ever able to get back, you knew there was nothing there. There was no home to return to. That's the situation these people are in. And then add to that. These are the people of Israel. Israel, their their whole identity is defined by their being the chosen people of God. They are known for being people that God loved. But how does this new broken reality, how does being in this far-off country surrounded by this different culture. How, how, do, how do you reconcile that? How do you get your mind around that idea? How do you go on when it seems like God has given up on you? Well, that was the hope of Babylon, right? It was in the midst of that confusion and uncertainty and doubt that the empire was placing its hopes. They were hoping that When these people reached a foreign land, when these people found themselves in a new and prosperous and thriving city, when they found themselves surrounded by a people who had a different faith, when they were educated in a different school system, when they learned different customs, they hoped that these people would despair. They hoped that they would come to grips with their utter defeat and that they would disappear, that they would become part of Babylon, that they'd be one of them. But these opening verses show us that it's only one part of the story. That, what I just told you, that's the history as the textbooks might teach it, right? That's the common way that the world would view this history. It's that closed view of reality that says life is random, that history marches on, that there is no narrative to tell, there's no story being written, but it's just facts. It's just a succession of leadership that plays out day after day, year after year. But here's what Daniel says. He says, Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, the king that was defeated, he wasn't just defeated. But what does it say? Okay, pull out those Bibles. I told you to get them, right? Open them, look at them. I'm gonna, I want you to read it with me. Ready? Verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. All right, stop right there. What Daniel shows us is that throughout this book, there is a God who has revealed himself in history. 
And there is a God who stands above history and who is guiding history. He's telling us that there is a story that's being written. And when you know that, when you understand that, it changes everything about the way you view the world. It's the story that that Daniel is assuming when he says, the Lord did this. It's the story that, that we have in this book that starts in Genesis. It's the story of God's covenant people. You remember Genesis chapter 12? It starts when God calls Abraham and he makes with him this unconditional promise. Genesis 12, he says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God promises to make Abraham a great nation, and he's faithful to that promise. As you read the story, Israel becomes a great nation. And within a few years, they, they're a, a, a numerous people, but they're enslaved in Egypt. And so God calls another man. He calls Moses to deliver them out of this slavery. And you remember the story, right? You've seen it in movies. God delivers the people out of Egypt and begins to lead them into the promised land. And it's at that moment in history when God makes another promise. God enters into another covenant with these people. He gives them the law. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He tells them that, that you're going to be my people, and that means you, ha- you can worship nobody else. There should be no other gods before me. I'm going to bring you into this promised land, and I'm going to give you this nation And at the end of that law, it tells us, God says, you, people, you should be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways of the Lord your God, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. And so these people, in that moment, they vow faithfulness to God, knowing that their disobedience, that their unfaithfulness will result in them being kicked out of the land, will be, result in them receiving the curses of this covenant that God's made. And so we see the story go on. These people, they enter the promised land. They conquer. They begin to prosper. They reach their pinnacle with King David and Solomon. They have this great nation. But slowly, they forget the promises they've made. Slowly, they start to turn to other gods. They start to turn away from the Lord. And we have lots of prophetic books in the Bible that that show us God pleading with these people, calling them back to faithfulness, and we have records of their refusal. They never come back. And so, at the end of the book of Kings, at the end of the book of Chronicles, we see this, this moment where that promise God made with Moses, that covenant has been utterly broken, completely destroyed. And as a result, the curses play out. As a result, the nation of Babylon comes and attacks Jerusalem. It tells us, it shows us here that God's sovereignty is displayed in what happens 
in Jerusalem. That God's sovereignty is displayed as he acts in history to take his people into exile. And so that means, verse 2, verse 1 and verse 2 together are opening up this book with a very profound truth. Daniel wants us to see God is faithful. God is faithful to his word. And in this moment, it is a word of judgment. God is not like a lot of us parents in this room, right? <laughs> who, who give the threat of punishment but never follow through, right? Parents, you know what I'm talking about. You know, it, if you don't stop, we're turning this car around. You know, don't make me count to three. One, two, three. Don't make me count to four. <laughs> right? That's, that's not how God does it. He carries out. God is, is righteous, and he's holy, and he is just. He tells us that he will by no means let the guilty go unpunished. So Daniel wants us to see God is faithful in his word. That's the point of this history. But also, God remains faithful to his people. The other side of this story is that even as Daniel is bringing up this painful fact, even though Daniel's reminding everyone of the hardship that they have been through, he is reminding us that, that in this moment of utter rebellion, in this moment of, uh, of complete destruction, in this moment when it seems like maybe God has abandoned them, he is absolutely present. He has not left his people behind. He is, in fact, in every moment of their lives, he is in control of their history. And that promise, that first promise, that unconditional promise that he made to Abraham, that I'm going to make you into a people and all the world is going to be blessed through you, that promise is still in full effect. God has not left them, even though it looks like their lives are in total ruin. And so, when the history books tell the story, they tell the story that it's all over. But when Daniel tells the story, Daniel shows them the truth. Daniel shows them the story behind their story. He shows them the right way to view history. He shows them that God has a plan for his people. God has a plan for his people. It was true then, and it's still true today. And so as we go out about the rest of this book, we see that the life of Daniel and his friends are shaped by that fact. We see that it really does matter what history you're living in, that your history, your view of history really makes a difference. And so that's the second thing I want to talk about. Our history, it makes a difference. Our history matters. Now, seeing God's hand at work, knowing that God is present in history, maybe that seems like a simple concept. But I hope you'll see right now that that simple fact will change everything about your life. Not only about how we view the world at large and history in general, but, but your day-to-day -day existence how you see it, and how it's taking shape. I have a friend who is a good dad. 
He has three boys, uh, and they are, they are wonderful kids. His oldest is in college now. Uh, but as that oldest boy was about to hit puberty, he decided that he was going to take him on a, a camping trip, right? Take him, bond with him, spend time with him. But ultimately, his plan was they were going to have the talk. They were, they were going to talk about what was coming up, the things that were ahead of, for him. But before he had that conversation, what he did out on their trip, he, he bought two uh, copies of the same puzzle. And he played this game with them. He, he opened up the puzzles, and he, he dumped them out in front of both of them. But he kept the lids with the picture on top. And he told his son, all right, there's going to be a great prize. Whichever one of us gets done first is going to win it. <laughs> and his son is really competitive. So he takes him up on this challenge, and they start to put piece the puzzles together. But of course, because the dad has the, the box tops, you know, he's much better at it because he knows what he's trying to do. And the son starts to get really frustrated. He's like, this isn't fair. I, I can't possibly beat you at this. And of course, right, that's the point. <laughs> the point that he was trying to, to show his son was, it really matters. It makes a difference if you know how the story ends. He says, I know how the story of puberty ends. <laughs> I know how this story goes, so I want you to listen to me. <laughs> Knowing the ending of the story changes everything. Verse 2 shows us that Daniel has the box top here. He knew that this story was going to end the same way that it started, with God's faithfulness to his people. And we're going to see, as we go on, that, that it is precisely this knowledge. It's knowing about God's faithfulness and his sovereignty, a God who will never abandon his people. That is what strengthens Daniel and his friends. That's what empowers them and drives them. As they go on to face terrible trials, as they face things that I'm sure made no sense to them whatsoever, right? <clears throat> Daniel finds himself in a not only in a hostile and foreign land, but he is constantly being oppressed. He is surrounded by people who want to bring him down. He and his friends are often under the threat of death. But knowing this story keeps him going. And it's that same story. That same story of God's sovereignty and his purpose that can empower our lives as well. Any of you guys go to the MFA much? I love the MFA. I try to get there as often as I can. If you've been there before, you may have found that, that in the ancient Near East section, they have a wall from Babylon. It's, a, it's a, a, an image of a striding lion. And if you read about it, it was one of 120 of these lions. They're, you know, maybe this big, that lined the walls of the Temple of Marduk. There's a little audio tour that you can listen to that describes this thing. And he says on the tour, the tour guide, he says, it's hard to imagine the splendor of 120 of these lions in procession towards the temple. The image of power and luxury must have been astonishing. And you know, it probably was. But from my perspective, it's not anymore. From our perspective, it isn't any longer. Now, it is a reconstructed artifact, 
a glued together pile of rubble. Psalm chapter 2, it says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords away from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. This nation that Daniel lived in, this nation that once seemed so unstoppable to the people of Israel, is long gone today. The people who lived for the triumph of that nation have long been forgotten. And you know who else has been forgotten? Marduk and Bel and Nebo and these pagan gods that the, that Daniel and his friends were renamed for in these early verses. But God remains. And the story of his faithfulness continues to be written. That's what this book wants to show us here. The history that we live in makes a difference. When we know that God has a purpose in our history, even when we don't know exactly what that purpose is, right? It enables us to live a life of faith for him. Now, I'm sure a lot of this stuff didn't make sense for Daniel. They were facing extreme difficulty. They were, really, they were bearing the punishment of their ancestors. But Daniel and his friends, they were holy men. They were faithful men. They lived lives that honored God. And if you were to ask them, why is this happening to you? They probably couldn't tell you. They couldn't tell you a, a nice story of why it was working out this way. But what we know and what they knew is that God has a purpose in history and that his steadfast love was not going to fail them. And if that's true for them, then that's true for all God's people. If that's true for them, that's true for each and every one of God's people throughout history. It's true for you right now, today. Do you realize that? Do you realize that? Do you know what that means? Well, it means, for one, that it is not an accident that you're here. It's not an accident that you're here in this room today. It's not a coincidence that you were, were born in Boston or that you moved here for work or for school or for a, a one-year internship or you're here today on vacation. Your time here is not an afterthought to God. It is a part of God's redemptive plan. I'm convinced that if, if we could just get that into our heads, if we could just understand that and believe that, it would, it would really change us. When you realize that your life is a part of a story, all of a sudden, the difficulties that you face change, and they take on a new life. I, I had a friend who was a campus minister, and he moved up to the city to do ministry at one of the colleges. He just kind of found a place to live that was affordable and ended up in kind of one of the rougher neighborhoods in town. 
And there was a time when, I guess there was a shooting outside of his house, and it was the first time he'd ever been around anything like that, and he was terrified. And so he called up the pastors of the church and was asking all kinds of panic questions, right? He was asking us where you can go to buy bulletproof glass for your windows in your house. <laughs> and we were like, I, I don't think you can. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where that is. Um, but one of my friends, another pastor that I know, asked him a really good question. He just said, let me ask you why you're here. Did God bring you here? Did God put you here? Or is it an accident? Is it a coincidence? Because if God has put you here, then you can, you can rest a little bit. <laughs> if God has put you here, then you don't need to panic. You can know that you're part of a story, right? We're going to go on and read uh, the story of the fiery furnace in a few weeks. And, and if, this is the story of the fiery furnace as the guys are, are facing perhaps destruction. They say to the king, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us, O king. But if he doesn't, be it known to you that we will not serve your gods. If you know that God is writing your story, you can face whatever might happen to you, knowing that he has a plan. If it's the case that we're in a story, then it means that God has put you here. And he has a plan that begins and it ends with his faithfulness. So you don't have to waste your life you don't have to waste your life pursuing the wrong kingdom. You don't have to waste your life pursuing the kingdom that's going to be rubble a few thousand years from now. You don't have to waste your time here. You don't have to consume this city for your own gain and get what you need from it and then leave it behind. You don't need to focus on your kingdom to the exclusion of God's kingdom. And if you're one of those people who's just going to be here for a minute, one of those people who's just going to be here for a year, I want to say, if it's, if it's God's story, are you willing to ask the question, maybe should I stay here? Whose story am I in? Who's writing this? Is it me or is it him? If it's God's story, then it changes the way we live in this world. Because it means that it is no accident where you are. It's no accident where you live. It's not an accident who you know. It's not an accident whatever you're facing in your life, whatever challenges might be ahead of you. The story, it makes a difference. That's the point. So the last thing, then, how do we know which story we're in? I said there's two ways to view history. There's two ways to view the world, one that has no purpose and one that is defined by purpose. But, but how can we be sure? Right? It sounds nice to believe that. It sounds good to think that God has a plan for my life, but how can we be certain? How can we be sure he isn't going to abandon us? Well, this book, the book of Daniel, it, it takes place in the exile. That's the period we're looking at. But Scripture, the Bible, tells us that the story of human history is really a story of exile. We read it when Stephen was 
doing the shorter catechism today. That the story of human history is the story of a people who were created to know and enjoy God in an eternal relationship with the King of Heaven. That's what we were made for. But because of our sin, we instead all come into this world feeling like strangers from Him. Feeling like strangers and aliens before God. Because of our sin, instead of living for God's glory, instead of living for God's kingdom, we end up living for ourselves. We live to build our careers and our relationships. We live for our children. We live for our success. And in the midst of that life, we're filled with this sense of purposelessness. We always feel like there's got to be something more. We never quite achieve that fulfillment that we're looking for in all these things. Well, the reason why, the Bible says, this world's not our home. It can't be. Those things aren't big enough to fill you. It says we are exiles, and the reason we search after everything is because we are constantly wandering, looking for our way home. But the Bible is also the story of this king. And not a king like Jehoiakim. Not a king who is taken off into exile and defeated and forever forgotten. But he is the king of all creation who will stop at nothing to bring his exiles home. He's the king who from the very earliest moment in history set out on a rescue mission to bring you back to him. And that mission took place in history. It, it included Abraham, and it included Moses and, and David, and it included Daniel, but it climaxed when it reached Jesus. Because in the person of Jesus, God himself came down. In the person of Jesus, God made himself an exile to bring us home. Jesus, God the Son, left his home in eternity and came to earth. And when he was here, he did what we were supposed to do. He lived a life of faithfulness. He lived a life of purpose. He never forgot where his real citizenship was. He never doubted his connection to God. No one ever questioned his allegiance. But on the cross, he was punished in our place. On the cross, not only was he exiled from his home, but he got the punishment that not even the, the, the people of Jerusalem got. Not only was he cut off from his home, but he was cut off from God. On the cross, God abandoned him the way he never abandoned anyone else. In that moment, Jesus got the abandonment we deserved so that we could get the homecoming that he earned. Ephesians says, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
So that means if you find yourself here this morning living a purposeless life, if you are wrestling through despair, if you are a Christian and you've begun to wonder, maybe God has abandoned you, maybe he's left you behind, well, you can look at the gospel and remember. You can look at Christ and know for certain that he is at work, that he is faithful and he will never leave you behind. And that means today, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity first to repent. We have a chance to turn. Turn away from living for the wrong things. To repent of acting as if we have been abandoned. To repent of of seeking to assimilate to a city that's not really our home. And when we do that, we get to come to Jesus. When we come to Jesus, we can find out all about a new way of living, where we can invest in this community, where we can live distinctive lives for him, where we can prosper here. But not because this city is our only hope, but because we know that God has put us here for a reason, that God has placed us here and it's not by accident, that we can pursue his will for us, for his glory, and not our own. We can do it because we know that nothing is an accident when your life has been redeemed by the God of history. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the good news of your word, and thank you for the story of your scripture that started before the foundation of the world, and the story of your people that continues even to this very moment. Lord, so often our our life seems rudderless uh, and unrooted. We find ourselves seeking answers that we can never find. But in your word, you have given us the answers. You've shown us that our home is not here. And so I pray, Father, that you would call us home today. As we come to this table, that we would come to the feast that you have prepared for us at the family table. God, I pray that we would rest in the knowledge that Christ has won our citizenship for us. And I pray, Lord, that we would begin to live for him. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.